0: The long COVID effects on the music industry. I think it's enough. we have enough time. Not enough time has passed for us to be able to reflect upon, think about just how much the pandemic has affected the music we listen to, how we listen to it, the interactions of the music industry, how artists have been affected, how labels have been affected, so how industry professional being affected because, as you know, hello, I am Derek G. As I wave, if you're watching this in video form, I like to think about music. I like to listen to music, first and foremost, but I like to think about music. And just how we interact with it as individuals, as consumers, as uh, people that like inspiration, people that are, are influenced by music throughout our whole lives. And just how much different things impact that. For example, you know, out coming out of World War II, when music changed tremendously. You know, civil rights movements changed music tremendously. Technological advancements obviously altered, have continued to alter music dramatically from recording capabilities to drum machines to everything in between. And I do think that... COVID-19, we have we are still experiencing the impacts of and we won't fully know the impacts of for a while to come. But I think I'm starting to see the, all the patterns and that's what I want to talk about today. If you're new to the podcast, I am Derek G. And I think I talk about music all the time on a variety of different places. If you stick around to the end, there will be an appendix where I'll fill you in on the live event I did recently. Love to talk about that. Love to talk about the people that I met there. Love to fill you in on what I learned about it. I want to talk about the process and journey wherever I've been on with this podcast as well. So that's at the end of the pod. You can tell that I've woken up with a tremendous amount of energy. So I started, I came in hot. So now we can settle down a little bit. The chapters for today in the long COVID effects on the music industry. My little essay, my little thesis goes as follows. Lost Music, Slash Stuck in the Past, Touring, Music Consumption, Momentum Killer, Tech. Yeah, that's it. Those are the chapters that we will go by for this episode. And do I need to preface anything else? I think that when we were in COVID times and and lockdown times, I think we all couldn't imagine going back to a world that was had any sort of normalcy to it i remember walking past those kind of hot pot places restaurants where you kind of grab your ingredients and you put them in the bowl and you know or like some sort of like bar marie setup or some sort of um buffet setup and i thought well those those businesses are never coming back because those are germs and we've all learned a thing or two about germs lo and behold they're all back you look at festivals and all the people crammed together, you're like, ha, huh, look at all that, uh, you know, close proximity sharing of, you know, ventilation. That's not going to happen again. Obviously, it's gone back to normal real quick. What is to normal? Back to normal. Because I think that as I reflect on things, I think things have changed a lot. Now, was that all to do with the pandemic? No. I think especially when I talk about technology, I think that it might've happened regardless, but I think that it was like the accelerant to a lot of the change that we're seeing in the music industry. So let's start with Lost Music. Frank Ocean, the most obvious one, let's start there. There was a leak of a video of his that came out recently, a music video that was shot prior to the pandemic, which featured Rosalia, which featured, I don't even know who's in the video, tons of celebrities. I want to say Slow Tie. I maybe want to say Steve Lacey. I could be wrong. A bunch of different artists, models, cool people. That was shot. That was made. That never came out it was rumored maybe, and I'm not saying this is true, that the director leaked it or there were some complications with payments or someone dropped, leaked it. It's not being formally acknowledged, but obviously there's Frank Ocean and Rosalia in a video. It was made. And makes me think about how there are a lot of artists that were planning to put out music that didn't, just straight up didn't. And... Frank Ocean for example his his brother died so that would have affected things too but I think there were people on a rollout campaign that never got to fulfill that and then canned it and so there's I guarantee you there is so much music that was made that didn't come out because it probably reflected a different time and was reflecting a different sort of momentum of the artist and then they decided No, this isn't right. When should we drop it? When should we drop it? When should we drop it? it? Okay, I'm tired of this music. I'm not dropping it at all. And that's kind of crazy to me that there's this whole, you know, year or two worth of music that never comes out. I think that the music that is lost, we will not know the full extent of it. And maybe, maybe some artists will put it out as its own narrative. But I think it's almost like it was such a microcosm time where artists actually put out music that reflected the times. Say, for example, uh Charlie XEX put out how I'm feeling now. Uh, who else did? Uh Taylor Swift put out folklore, very like uh introverted, isolated albums. I think the people that saw the opportunity in reflecting the time they were in now is great. And that is the uh, positive effect. In, in opposition to the lost music that some people went like, you know, I want to reflect what I'm experiencing now and releasing music that you're going to release in 2020 in, in a few years to say this was meant to come out in 2020. Maybe that narrative is kind of stale and kind of lame. The second part of this long COVID chapter is music that's stuck in the past. Now I've been thinking about it for a long time and haven't made a video about it because I don't think it's that interesting of a point to make in short form as that music is not a reflection of our time more than it is a reflection of our recent past. Because obviously, music, 95% of the music that's put out has been recorded a long time ago. When the artist was in a different headspace, they recorded that and then maybe worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, got some more writers on it, maybe uh, you know shelved it, maybe didn't like it, maybe came back to it and then mixed and mastered it, delivered it, and then marketed it or set it part of a plan. And any music that we love that comes out today, the day that you're listening to this podcast, has been in the works for, you know, anywhere from six months to five years. And that kind of messes with my head a little bit when you think about music history and you think about like, oh, this, this album was really a representation of 1979. It's like, well, was it? Was it? Was it? I think in some cases, especially in the 60s up until, you know, maybe the late 70s, early 80s, maybe music was reflective of that time because it was a lot more immediate and um, there was less, uh, you know, lots more was recorded in the room. But I think that the prime example of it is this, and I will not reveal my sources, but Kendrick Lamar's recent album, which is uh, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, came out last year, 2022. A friend of mine who is friends with one of the people that worked on the album said that some of the music that is on that record was recorded in 2018. And they were like wondering if it would ever come out. So to think about this album 4 years later coming out I and mean being like this you know that that album was not necessarily an album about now as much as it is about identity and about gender and about lots of other uh political things that aren't about 2022 it is kind of crazy to think that we're like listening to music that's quite old and i think that a lot of artists held on to their music from being released in 2020 and 2021, because they're like, things are changing. I need to promote my tour. I need to go on tour. Why would I put out music and then not capitalize off it? I'm not putting it out. And so therefore, the albums that ended up rolling out in 2022 and 23 might be from a long, long, long time ago. And so now either we have like lost music, we have old music, we might even have a back catalog of music that is coming still to come out. It is kind of reflective of a different time. Because if you think about the time right now, a lot of economic uncertainty, uh, a lot of growing political uncertainty uh, in the US, uh, you know, there, there's obviously different conversations. There was the, the, at, at some point, there was a discussion about China, or always is, but, you know. So when will music catch up to where we are right now? 2027, who knows? So that's something that I think is less tangible because we don't see the lost music. We don't know that we're stuck in the past because it's new music to us, but it's like what Kendrick was probably expressing in 2018. It's very different to people like thinking about uh, the rental crisis or interest rates or uh, the economic downturn of, of 2023 when something was recorded in 2018. Something to think about. Next category, next chapter is the long COVID effects of touring. I think about this one a lot. This is a big point for me. I think that live music has been heavily affected by COVID 19 because you have two levels of music. One, you have all of the major artists that are held back their music. From 2020, 2021, releasing in 2022, and going on world tours, whereby you have the biggest artists doing their world tours at the same time. I know people in the touring industry saying it is insane. It's like you can't predict anything. It's like every venue is booked up to the hills and gills, booked up to the gills, and they, everyone's trying to do it at the same time, right? And whilst that is great, I think that there is an economic driver, which means that like, if I want to see Billie Eilish for $175, for example, that's a big chunk of money. And I've been stuck inside and I want to see my favorite artists. And so I'll pay that money. But then I have less money for the small to medium artists. So my my theory is that the, the small to medium sized artist is suffering because there's less money to go around because the big ticket items, the big ticket artists are coming through and, and scooping all that up for their stadium shows. And that ultimately has moved, you know, put the thumb on the scale for major artists to really lean into this and the developing a local scene of cities around the world may be suffering. I think they're suffering because you've only got so much money to to dish out and say, for example, I didn't do any of this because I don't go to many gigs right now at my point in life with a, a young kid, but... Would I rather see Tyler, the creator on his delayed world tour or for $150 or would I want to see a buzzing band for $15, $20 times 10 and not know if I'm going to enjoy my show, not know if I like them? be in small rooms, not see a same type of spectacular show, sacrifice more of my time. People may or may not be going out less. Uh, So I feel like it's like, you know, the whales and the minnows. I feel like it's kind of a thing where the whales have come a lot along and just sucked up everything else and the attention too. It's I don't have no evidence to this besides my own observation, and my own observation is that global world tours from massive artists are creating so much mind share, and that the small to medium uh uh kind of instinctual desire to see those is waning or has waned, and will i think that that two three year period is gonna take a little time to come back because I think that when I met some people, I met an artist that was just turned 18 and during the pandemic and they were making this like club music and I was like, oh, amazing. And they're like, yeah, I've never been to a club. I don't know what it's like. This is what I imagine it to be like, wild. So there's a, a young people that have existed in a time where they've imagined a certain thing and they're now in the world are... Uh, trying to experience things that they've kind of had a a delayed uh, ability to experience, which is kind of crazy to me. So yeah, whales and minnows are touring. I think is a, I don't, I think we won't see the impact of that for years, but I think that there will be this like gap, which I think is existing right now where major big artists are succeeding and small artists are kind of sputtering along, struggling to, get to that next level because there's not enough airtime because everyone's on tour right now next category music consumption how the long covid affects music consumption this is a multi stop point. point first one k-pop infiltration the 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 adoption of k-pop in the west i think that the k-pop does the the design of K-pop and the uh, death laser of K-pop and building and building the infrastructure around it brought itself somewhat luckily to a point where the pandemic, the laser was focused and really, really took advantage of that because I know quite a few people personally and on my Discord, go join the Discord, that say that they've been a fan of K-pop since 2020. What were we all doing in 2020? We were online all the time. We had nothing to do. So let's be obsessed about a whole new world a universe of things that we hadn't been into before. So many people I know had learnt about it since then. Uh, I started learning about it in 2019 because of the job. I've talked about this in the previous episode that I, I, I had. So I wasn't far behind. So I kind of get it in a sense. And what the the k-pop machine was able to do is like i think that major labels in the west were like oh hold everything back the tour the tour like let's not put things out i feel like k-pop did that for a little bit and then like okay back to business because we have we have a way that we do business we have a way that we release stuff and we're not waiting around for that and so what was the momentum behind new music in 2020 and 21 was k-pop i think BTS really capitalized on it. Is this all pre-planned? Like, oh, it's the pandemic and we've all capitalized. No, I don't think so. But I think that's the timing thing. Uh, BTS really capitalized on it. Um, the Blackpink documentary came out during that time as well. There was also a K-pop documentary on YouTube that came out at the same time. It all kind of coalesced. And the, the translators and the artists seemed to come out at that right point. And has led to this point where in 2023... A lot more people are are aware, savvy, and well-versed in the concept of K-pop. And I think that it is no accident. And the drivers around, because we were online and because K-pop is such a content creation machine, you have incredible music videos, you have incredible social content, you have dancing, you have behind the scenes. It's designed for an online audience. To feel a part of that world so k-pop is the success of k-pop in the west there is a definite long COVID effect of that the second one is a lot more personal to me which is uh hi-fi and indoors people that i think that uh vinyl collection record collection and the building of hi-fi and systems is something where people are enjoying being at home more people are enjoying listening to music at home or people were also online and being very uh, attracted by my stuff because they're like, I'm at home more and I would like to have this hobby and listen to music. And you seem like a person that can point me in the right direction. I think that the long COVID effect of, of listening is that people want to improve their personal listening setup and almost like take the music fandom indoors. So collecting records, uh, the kind of record collecting community, which I don't count myself part of. I don't go to records day, I don't pay attention record store day, or I don't pay attention to any of that stuff, is like collecting records almost as like you would collect Hot Wheels or you would collect Pokemon cards, where it's like, it's less about you're a fan of the music full stop, but then you're also like, how do I keep the the record in pristine condition. How do I keep the sleeve in pristine condition? How do I display it? How do I organize it? How do I color code it? Uh, what is the most exclusive uh, pressing I can get? Rather than I just want to buy it and listen to it. It's it's the the kind of record collecting community has definitely evolved as well. I think music consumption in a agoraphobic way agoraphobic way like i said has kind of affected things with regards to touring but has also affected people's uh, expectations of festivals and live shows i will use myself as the reference to not just be like Derek is just spouting his theories and speaking directly to you as if he knows things and he's just making things up because to a certain extent I'm making educated informed guesses but take take K-pop for example I have hadn't been to a K-pop concert I was aware of it I'd learned about it like I said and the only experience of K-pop concert, uh, concerts that I had was online, on TikTok, on YouTube, primarily. And I finally went to one with my sister. I went to see twice uh, in March, April, in April. And I went and I knew what to expect in terms of, of, of a variety show type, type, not variety show, but like, you know, there's talking breaks, there's, like, solo performances. There's dance performances. I expected that, and I remember seeing that on TikTok when people were talking about, like, people were surprised by it because, like, it's not one hour of hardcore show. It's, like, stopping and talking to the audience and all that sort of stuff. So I was kind of educated in that sense on online what to expect. But going there, I had in my head what a cake concert would be. And then arriving there, I was like, this is... I've only imagined and experienced K-pop concerts in my head and online. And this is kind of blowing my mind because I'm seeing all the bodies, right? All the shapes and sizes out for a good time. I'm like, whoa, look at all these people that I thought were kind of like me, but are definitely not like me. Um, All walks of life. Um, How people interact or not interact with the concert, how lively or not lively they were. And, It wasn't what I expected out of a concert experience. I thought the show was great. There was no faults to the show, but the the kind of audience experience, seeing the audience in real life of what I imagined The audience would be kind of of blew my mind. And I hear that a lot about, I was at a gig recently and a sound engineer said to me, yeah, I've noticed that the younger people have a different expectation around encores because the band had planned an encore but the band had said thanks this is our last two songs and then did this two songs they said thanks a lot and then they went off stage and the people were like cool i'm going home and the place started to empty almost immediately until thankfully someone in the crowd was like one more song one and people were like oh Uh, okay one more song and then they came out because they're always going to come back out maybe that's one person's observation but i tend to trust someone that's like an engineer that sees a lot of gigs they're like no yeah people don't really understand uh encores and so they just have this expectation i see this show then i go home (laughs) it was so awkward to see it just completely emptying out i remember seeing joji at a festival Not long ago, and he did this like gag, multiple gags of like, this is the last song, this is the last song. I think in the artist's head, because he had this massive song in 2020, A Glimpse of Us 2021. I think the gag for him is like, everyone knows I'm gonna play Glimpse of Us at the very end, so I'm just gonna pretend to keep him off stage. But for people like me who kind of forgot his back catalog and many others, we're like, oh, they just finished. All right, on to the next. People leaving. (laughs) You know, everywhere just kind of go, all right, I'm, I'm out. And then him coming back and being like, oh, people have to rush back in. So I think the people's expectations around festivals, the agoraphobia around like being like afraid of going out has really affected our expectations around live music. I think. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. But then there's, there's a part of it that also excites me. A safe to say, and I'm confident about this one, COVID-19 killed a lot of bands and artists who had momentum, who had this narrative. These are the people that are the no ones to watch. These are the ones that you need to see next year. These are the ones that are going to blow up. 2018, 2019. Maybe they're glowing on the gl- growing on the global stage, and they're buzzing and they'll probably plan to tour in your city and then everything gets shut down from uh, what eighteen months a year to eighteen months it's time's gone so quickly I feel like I've almost forgotten the experience of covid but yeah man, like that I know artists that were absolutely popping off and everyone's talking about them. And now everyone, like you don't hear from them anymore because I think that they got completely uh, steamrolled by not being able to tour, not being able to put themselves in front of people and not being very good at like making content to capitalize on that stuff. And that's not their fault. And I think that many people who have capitalized are the people that were able to take their buzz online. How many people can do that? Not many. So I think it's very sad that uh, there is a whole, I would not love to see, because I think it'd be very sad. I I would love to see a list of groups that were basically killed by COVID. The long COVID effects of COVID have been that there's uh, probably thousands of artists that their careers were killed. Because how do you get that momentum back? You had articles, everyone wanted to book you. Everyone to have an early look in. And now they're like, oh, I forgot about you. Oh, this feels old. That's a bummer. I think that when I say momentum killer or maybe killer, but like a negative turning to a positive is that thousands of music industry professionals got laid off due to lack of touring, lack of sales, lack of releases, rough of different things. I know a bunch of people that have been laid off. That was obviously terrible, and then there's like a, a almost like a knowledge gap because you have to rehire all these people or or rehire new people to train them to the jobs that they were fired because for an eight month period, they needed to cut that person and then they needed to bring someone back and you've got to train them for probably eight months to get them to a speed where they were similar in, in efficacy. Uh, what I think is a positive side of that is that the like like you cut back on a uh, plant during the winter season. I think that a lot of these people that were cut back and cut out actually were given the opportunity to start new businesses and start uh, their own journey and therefore contribute as an individual that they might not have been able to contribute in their nine to five. So I think that in many ways that's, uh, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurialism and a lot of new business that was born out of the retrenching of people in the music industry. But I think a lot, I'm sure a lot of people would completely move to a different industry as well. I remember a Claire Fifi DJ was like, see you suckers. It was quite a, it was quite a brutal Instagram. She's like, I can't DJ right now. I need to make some money. I'm not posting on here. I'm getting a job and I will be back when I'm back. And I was like, I love that honesty because it's true. Like if you're a DJ, Hey, come to like. Could you go find me? Because I can't DJ anymore. Claire Fifi, who's Scottish, is probably like I say. He's Scottish, but feels very Scottish, very like strong-willed. It's just like I'm out. I've got to do what I got to (laughs) do, and uh, yeah, I think that they're they're born out of a lot of entrepreneurialism, but a lot of uh, you know mental health uh, effects of people that uh, were fired or lost touring and all that sort of stuff as well. So we will not know the uh, long COVID uh, successes of that until for 10 years, I'd say. Like some people are succeeding now, but I think these people are building the beginnings of their agency, you know, management company, artist career that started in 2020, 2021, that we'll see thrive in 2027 uh, and et cetera. The last long COVID effect is in tech, technology or broad reaching. And when I say technology, I say basically the internet uh, and the internet uh, consumption and uh, sharing and experience of music. So multifaceted, this one as well. Death of the online concert is my first point. I think that 2020, 2021, when everyone's indoors, the, the recording industry was like, we need to make money. Everyone's at home. We all sat around waiting for things to change. It's not happening. So let's make money. Let's provide some experience to the audience. So we all saw the um, at-home concerts and or like big stadium shows, but like from the comfort of your own home. And I firmly believe that it was almost like stress tested to the point where it's like dead, where I think we all saw one or two, maybe for free. Maybe we paid for it. You know, you name it, Billy Eilish to 88 rising to Nick cave did online concerts. Um, two out of three of those were paid. And I think people thought, well, this is the future. Pay $20, see Billy Eilish. But I think that fairly quickly people realized this is not the future. I, I I don't want to watch this. I want to see it in person. But I don't want to see a live event of someone in a studio singing to nobody. You know, the best version of a live Concert that I've seen was Coachella this year, where you're actually watching the festival with people, and they're interacting with the crowd, and they're getting sweaty, and things go wrong, and they bring out a feature, and someone the oh, crowd goes crazy, and you kind of go crazy. And but like, just say I didn't watch it, but just say Billy Eilish brings out Taylor Swift, like it's like everyone, Taylor Swift. intentional silence obviously it's like okay anyway so hey taylor how are you going like uh, <laughs> it almost becomes like a vlog or a zoom call so i think that the industry really put it focuses lasers on it but i don't think that there is a place for it as much as people thought it was the future economy of musical live experiences i don't think that exists i think again k-pop has figured out live experiences of artists in a really horrible, almost sweatshot way, which is like those private one-on-one calls where I don't know how much you pay. You might even pay hundreds of dollars to basically have like a FaceTime with your idol for two minutes. And you're basically just like talking nervously. That is a better... uh, uh, Is it a better moneymaker? It's a better experience for the fan. I don't know if it's a better moneymaker. Maybe it's a minute call. And they do like, they do just an hour worth of these calls. Horrendous for the artist. But, uh, you know, at least you're connecting with an artist in a real way and not like watching Billie Eilish talk to an empty, empty auditorium. Production via Zoom. So this is a new point that I just added in before I started recording this. Because no one could go and meet in studios, because no one could... Uh, spread their, uh, I forget what they call it now, the vapors, you know, the aerosols, whatever, the breath in the same room as other people during COVID. A lot of people, as we do with business these days, moved to Zoom, moved to Google Meet. Um, no one moved to Microsoft Teams. No, I'm kidding. And started producing music that way. Novel, for many instances, at the outset, because, well you know, wow, I can be in a session with someone in uh, Rio as well as in Brooklyn at the same time. And I think that during that time, it was a great solution to keep making music. The old man in me will say that I fear that that is the new normal. And I, I, I kind of dream of a simpler time where people got together into a studio and the alchemy and the energy in the room created a hit because people were just vibing off each other. Now, how many songs have I heard that like how, how many songs that I love in the last 10 years haven't been made in a room like that? Probably like 5%, like because any Drake song that I like, any, you know, Duff Huck's punk song that I like was probably made by someone making a bit of it and then sending it to someone else and then sending it to someone else. But then I think about because I was watching a documentary the other day where it had like artists in a room writing a song together. I'm like, man, that is such a like, I feel like that's such a much more of a rarer thing these days to have that kind of like, let's everyone get in a room. And like the combination of all these individuals leads to this special moment where a, a, a once in a lifetime song is made and recorded. And I don't think. Best case scenario, it doesn't matter. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario, music sounds almost a bit compartmentalized and a bit, like, uh, just separated by ideas, by distance, by energy, and it all just, like, living in these little email attachments or Zoom calls where they're like, I can't really hear you play guitar right now, but try playing this... And then they play it and they're like, it sounds kind of cool. Like, yeah, send me the stems when you're finished with it. You know, that's that's the worst case scenario. The next big one is TikTok in terms of tech, in terms of the long COVID effect that tech has had on music. It's too much to talk about with TikTok. So let me just rattle out a, a bunch of different ones. So TikTok, obviously rose so quickly during the pandemic because everyone was on their phones and everyone's like what's this new thing. I I kind of broke out during the pandemic, so I'm I'm a product of that as well. I think that TikTok and vertical video and every subsequent app, Instagram, YouTube copying it was a direct response to TikTok not only creating uh, uh, creators like me who are harness the ability to storytell around music, hi-fi, whatever I do, but then also, uh, capture, uh, a global conversation around music, buzz, live shows, uh, and be the new Twitter in a sense that it was able to, if, if there is a controversy around, uh, Taylor Swift and Maddie Healy, You can watch one video and then it will serve you 100 and you'll be in this global conversation or argument about whether Taylor Swift should date Matty Healy. Or I remember uh, Splendor in the Grass, a festival in Australia, happened last year and it was rained out and I was on TikTok and within an hour I was seeing all of the drama that unfolded because it was cancelled for that day, people covered in mud, and that's what twitter was but in text form and in image form and now i'm like scrolling through and i'm seeing everyone sharing almost in real time what's going on and i'm like this is this is wild that i'm experiencing the world in this way and i think that uh tiktok was like designed <laughs> to capitalize on that bottom and that sharing and that instant algorithmic focused conversation push uh that not only is the new twitter for uh music but is able to like shove people like shove people into these like hyper niches of conversation and globalize that and make people feel very comfortable in communities that they wouldn't have been part of because how their algorithm works is it shoves you down further into these little niches and you feel more in tune with what you're interested in quicker. And every company has copied this to a lesser extent to uh, not as much success. I think that TikTok has also created new uh, uh, commentators like myself like many others that have cropped up patrick hicks my friend uh, you know has as as do do i we have a day job and then suddenly we're talking about music and everyone's like hey patrick hicks you're great you are talking about music and he's like yeah i i didn't talk about music in public until now <laughs> i just did a you know a corporate job and so these new commentators coming out at the same time i think that that also Uh, Should I jump to it now? This was my last point after TikTok, but I'll just jump into it now. The acceleration of music journalism dying, genius, complex news, MTV news is a result, is a long COVID effect because of technology and the competing space of all of those places that I just mentioned competing for eyeballs the revenue not being the same because they're all doing similar things if Drake drops an album and then Genius and Complex and BuzzFeed will talk about it and MTV will talk about it did you know Drake just dropped it they're all doing the same thing and they're all being served to the same audience you're probably like none of them are going to make any get any views because at least someone like me I'm not talking about that because other people are talking about it I'll talk about you know Bolivian soul music (laughs) And people are like, oh, I haven't heard this before. And that's not coming out of a a complex news, is it? So I think that it accelerated the death of music journalism because um, there's a democratization of these platforms. There's an acceleration of these platforms um, being consumed during the pandemic. And then there's these new voices like myself who, take me, for instance, was never in front of the camera always collected thought and talked about music uh and had been basically uh piloting things on my radio show that no one listened to for many years to the point where i there's a camera in front of me and now i'm talking and now uh there's an audience around what i do and that wouldn't wouldn't have happened without tiktok that wouldn't have happened without me working from home that wouldn't have happened without me having the time to do it at home Long COVID effects is Derek G. You know, so it's uh, it, my experience is a good representation of how TikTok and um, media, the media landscape has changed. And yeah, lots of those, like I said, those, those publications have culled a lot of stuff or have completely culled that part of their business. Touring and TikTok is really interesting. I think that a lot of artists and labels have recognized that your visuals, what you do at a concert, how you change that concert is social media content. And that, like I was talking about TikTok and, and the being the instant video Twitter, it's promotion for your tour around the world. So I cynically, I don't think they did this on purpose. I cynically thought that, twice kicked off their world tour in Australia because it's a small market where you can trial things and you can also make, a, get lobbyists to make content for you to help promote it so the other twice people around the world, fans around the world, so that when you announce there, they've been like, I've seen these crazy things on TikTok from the Australian twice show, I want to go. Isn't that smart if they did that? I would love to think they did that from a strategic point of view, I doubt it. But I think that that is not out of the realms that so what you would do is like do all this crazy stuff that people haven't seen before so then they record it and they go oh my gosh Momo's doing a pole dance she's never done that before people are like what she's doing a pole dance I want to see that and then it kind of it travels from there and then what I've noticed is like people like Taylor Swift or Harry Styles they change up lyrics they change up track lists they drop different things during the show now back in the day artists would just play the same show every single night because there was no one recording it and broadcasting it right and no one would know that you repeated it if i played you know a dubstep version of uh land down under from men at work people would talk about it Maybe people will talk about it and tell their friends about it, but it's not going to extend beyond your, you know, the city that you played in. Now you can film that and a million people can see that within an hour. And then people are like, I want to see that dubstep version of Men Don't Under <laughs> in my city. And then when you get there, they might do that and they might do something else. And then that promotes for the South American tour. So I think that labels, artists, touring companies are getting a lot smarter about the fact that if you make social media content within your concert, I know it sounds sad to say, but it's true. You're promoting yourself for the next thing. T-shirt cannons, you know, dance breaks. uh, Bringing out someone crazy onto the stage. All there for the taking. Last one is a bit woolly. I'm not even sure if this is true, but I think that there's, that. I think this was happening before TikTok, but I think it accelerated, which is the, the UKification of music. Garage, Jungle, People at Fred again, Boiler Roomification of the club, which is, you know, people filming their DJ sets there and putting them online. Uh, people filming some transitions, putting out online. I think that the 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 Skrillex Fortet, Fred again phenomenon that of of uh, Coachella people were like, what is this? Like, why? Are they, why is it so sloppy? Why are they like mixing up all these genres? What is this wheel up? <laughs> I've seen a lot of this. I'm not saying that you don't know about this. You probably do if you're listening to this. But a lot of people don't know what those things are. And they're like, why are they wheeling back a song and then playing it again and then wheeling it back? But I feel like what has been around in the UK for a long time in club culture has made it to America finally. And I think it has only been accelerated through TikTok and social media and like these new sounds. I have this theory that... Um, it's not a it's not an underground theory. It's like the Georgia Smith's song with Predator, I forget the name of it, um, was really where the new Garage Pink Panthers sound came from, um, and everyone doing that sort of UK sound now. Anyway, I digress. I think that people are looking for new sounds and new things, and I think that uh, boiler room club sounds, clubs club interactions. Uh, it was a definite, not definite, a result of TikTok's proliferation of culture on the internet during the pandemic. There you go. That, that concludes. I didn't know how long this podcast was going to be. It's decidedly long at this point. The long COVID effects on the music industry. What did you think? Do you think that I'm right? Do you Please tell me if you think I'm wrong. I would love your feedback on it. But I think that, you know, I let me check back on this in 10 years time. Let's see if a lot of this is... Uh, come true a lot of this is uh, you know if many things have suffered I also think many artists have succeeded last point to my point about it killing a lot of momentum I think that anyone that any artist that knows how to exist online and can build a community you have succeeded and accelerated after 2020 so you know it's spawned a lot of new artists as well it's not all bad news Not none of this is all bad news but it's definitely like changed a lot of things Thank you for listening. Now we get on to the appendix. First appendix is the boring one. Thank you for your patience around ads and this uh, channel. As you know, I am working very hard on all my content to work to a point where I can uh, make this into a full-time career. People are surprised that it isn't for me yet, but it's not because I have made a rule not to take any money off Promoting music and I like a lot of offers to promote music for labels around the world that could easily pay for my income. But that's my whole integrity. So when I was accepted for monetization on YouTube, little milestone, yay. And also for my podcast, I was like, great, I can start to earn some money off this. Uh, Someone on my discord said, hey, the ads on YouTube kind of break up the flow. And I'm like, oh, let me look into it. And I thought, well, you know, if it's an ad every 15 minutes, you know, I'm sorry, that's not too bad. I look at it, it's like 20 ads in an hour. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. I really, truly am. I removed, I put, I left two in there, I think. Because like, I do want to, not need to, I do want to turn this into something that sustains. And we have Turntable Lab. We have, you know, things developing. I do sponsored posts. You know, as you know, with a business, it's like, well, yeah, I do want to monetize so I can provide more content and do it more full time. 20 ads is too much. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you're this deep in, if you give me uh, constructive feedback because you care, please tell me. I didn't. I just set ads live. I did not check how many. It's. I didn't even know you could check how many until after I was told. I did not know that it was going to be that many. Jeez. Insane. So thank you for alerting me to that. And I apologize. Secondly, if you made it right to the end, my event all together now at Ace Hotel Sydney happened this week. Uh, It was great because um, I was very self-conscious to back as my whole life to back myself in a physical space. I'm not a typical DJ that just plays in clubs and then builds a network around that. And so I've created my own thing. And thank you to Sophie and Ace Hotel for giving me the opportunity to use your space to trial something out. And a whole lot of you said hello. I also got DMs saying I was too shy to say hello. So I didn't, uh, which is a shame. But then also like, you know, DJs, you don't usually just come up and say hello. Um, And I learned a lot. And what I learned is that I'm going to evolve it for round two because I've set up an expectation with you guys that I've built a relationship with you guys that I like talking to you online. I like talking to you directly. And then DJing is just a part of, and taste making is just a part of what I do. And if you just come and I just say nothing and play music, it's like, was that satisfying enough for you? For some people, it was. No one said it was unsatisfying, unsatisfactory. Um, But a lot of people wanted to talk to me. And I was like, whoops, how am I meant to mix, select songs, and talk to you? <laughs> Impossible. So something had to give, and that's usually the mixing. So I think that I will build in more time to spend more time with you and make it more of a communal thing than in just like watch me DJ because it's... uh, uh, Unless you're there for a rave and a dance, music cannot be the entire function, as I've learned. So thank you for your patience i'm iterating and developing this because i want to take it all around the world and i want you to be part of that journey so thank you all for coming so many people said i love the podcast which is wild to me because i don't know who listens to the podcast and uh it's hard to get feedback on podcasts so if you say that thank you so much it's uh meant a lot and the the ability for you guys to like reference certain things in the podcast is like whoa you actually listen quite deeply shout out to you you know who you are the people that just came up and said hello anyway that has been Derek G Speaks Volumes why have I started at 20 minutes an episode and now going on to an hour am I just rambling thank you for listening speak to you next week good episode next week bye for now